Hello, kitchen nerds, and welcome to Blender Kitchen. I'm your host, Nicole, and I would like to invite you to join me on a culinary historical adventure. In this podcast, we like to explore different foods, different recipes, different food types, and kind of see, like, how did we get here from where it started? So, buckle in. It's going to be a wild ride. Thank you for all of your patience, kitchen nerds. This week has honestly been such a whirlwind. I swear I had like three days of actual week this week. And to be quite honest, I just forgot to record, so my bad. Um, We do have our Thanksgiving special coming up, which will be posted on Thanksgiving. So technically, it's a two-episode week this week. Eh? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I do apologize for uh, for forgetting, but we've got an excellent, delicious episode up this week. A little different from our normal fare, so I'm going to snuggle in, get myself a hot cuppa, and we can talk about this week. So the of shepherd's pie was pretty short but I thought that it would play a lot of it would make a lot more sense if we really looked at the entire context wherein shepherd's pie was born so this week is going to feel a little different than our normal episodes but bear with us we're going to get to the food part what is shepherd's pie shepherd's pie is ground meat cooked in gravy, onions, carrots, and celery with a mashed potato crust. Um, We'll come back to naming conventions a little later in the episode. But typically, shepherd's pie is uh, when the the ground meat is lamb. Cottage pie is when it's beef. And gardener's or shepherdless or shepherdess pie is vegan or vegetarian meat substitute. But before we get into cottage pie, we need to discuss the potato blight and the potato in general. I know that we kind of talked about potatoes in our episode Hot Potato 2, but it can't hurt to just touch base on some of those things again here. We're unclear how potatoes got to England from America because the potato is native to the Americas. Um, and was introduced to Europe after explorers came to the quote-unquote new world. There are a bunch of different theories, but all of them can be refuted. Uh, One popular theory is that Francis Drake found them in Chile and brought them to England in 1578. However, the potatoes would have probably spoiled before he reached home. The second popular theory is that Sir Walter Raleigh found potatoes in the Caribbean, brought them to England, and then later planted them on his estate in Ireland in 1588. However, Sir Walter Raleigh didn't visit the Caribbean, which is an interesting way of saying showed up and wreaked havoc, 
until the 16th century, like later in the 16th century. So that doesn't really pan out either. But regardless of how potatoes got to Europe, they went off like gangbusters. Potato cultivation spread throughout England and Ireland entirely by 1699. Adam Smith, an economist, said that maize, um, which you can check out the origin for maize in our very first episode, amazing. Um, Anyway, Adam Smith said maize and potatoes were the most two were the two most important improvements which the agriculture of Europe had received from the great extension of its commerce and navigation in his treatise Wealth of the Nations which he wrote in 1776 and corn and potatoes are going to be very interlinked in our story so please stay tuned now there is a disease which has never been solved that affects the potato. It makes it gross. It makes it literally slimy and completely inedible. It's called the potato blight. It shows up as small dark spots which eventually spread to the entire tuber, ruining the potato and rotting it literally where it's growing. You can't replace it for seed. You can't eat it. It's just dead. The potato blight was first noticed in Philadelphia in late summer of 1842. This didn't really affect the farmers because of an abundance of other types of crops, both for selling and for food. After it was noticed in Philadelphia, it was next noticed in Belgium in June of 1844. Then the Netherlands also in 1844, but a little later in August. Now, when the potato blight reached the Netherlands, it completely devastated potato farmers. 71% of Dutch crops and 88% of Belgian crops fail. But these farmers were able to fall back on other grain crops in the meanwhile, both for selling and for eating. After the Netherlands, the potato blight spread to the rest of Scandinavia, France, Western and Southern Germany, Prussia, and Russia. In France and <laughs> sorry, my notes got a little confusing. In France, it was localized and didn't really affect many farmers. So France just sent food from unaffected areas to the affected areas to make sure that people could eat. And now I keep saying that potato farmers were de- devastated, and it may seem like why, like why they why shouldn't why was it so terrible? Well, say you farm potatoes for selling. If you don't have potatoes to sell, you have no income. If you don't have an income, you cannot eat. Likewise, if you grow potatoes for eating and all your potatoes die, you have nothing to eat. Europe temporarily suspended the protectionist policies of individual companies to make it possible and easier to import cheap grain from other countries to alleviate the strain of this potato blight. It's estimated that 300,000 Dutch, Belgian, Prussian, and other rural farmers died as a result of the potato blight in continental Europe. 
Ireland exported thousands of tons of potatoes during the summer of 1845 to help avert famine in continental Europe. Um, the blight wasn't in in the British Isles at this time. Uh, so they were really able to aid in the famine that was occurring in other parts of Europe. However, England was not immune and Ireland was not immune. The potato blight hit Ireland and England in August of 1845. The British Prime Minister, Sir Robert Peel, prepared for a famine by instituting public works projects in which tenant farmers would be paid in food for working on public works such as building roads. We're going to put a pin in that and come back. We need to talk about the British conquest of Ireland because it sets up uh, an important scene that you're not going to be able to understand until you truly take it into context. I think potatoes and the potato blight is one of the most illuminating subjects in really understanding the intricacies of intergovernmental conflict and inter inter country party interstatal anyway let's get into it we're going to start during the norman invasion invasion of england today the united kingdom the english and irish worked together to expel the norman invaders during this time after the norman invasion the English invaded Ireland and conquered them during the Cornwellian Wars. After England conquered Ireland, they pushed the native Irish to the western part of the island. This part of the island was hilly, had poor soil, was hard to grow most crops there, but potatoes really took. They flourished. In fact, they were able to grow about six tons of potatoes per acre, which was enough to both sell potatoes and survive off of them. It became a really cheap food source. English Protestants living in Ireland passed penal laws that prevented Catholics, mainly Irish, from voting uh, most professional, most professions, teaching, attending school, uh, and most important to our story, owning land. And the land that was owned by native Irish was taken from them and given to English Protestants. The Catholic Relief Act of 1829 was instituted in an effort to repeal a lot of the, uh, the, uh, penal laws of your, but it didn't really change a lot and most of the native Irish remained tenant farmers. These tenant farmers tended landowners crops while the landowners were away and grew potatoes for themselves. Now potatoes cannot be stored from year to year like grain such as wheat or oats or barley can. They have to be eaten or planted. So it became this very much you have to decide exactly what you're going to do and kind of plan your entire year out to make sure that you have enough food to feed yourself and your family. 
at the height of not the famine, but just the height of the plight of the Irish when most people were finding it difficult to survive day to day due to disenfranchisement and just a decrease in life, um, quality of life after the conquest of, of Ireland by England, a Protestant clergyman named Jonathan Swift took it upon himself to write a small paper guiding the Irish into money-saving ways. And in this paper, he suggested that Irish tenant farmers eat their children for sustenance. He aptly titled this paper, A Modest Proposal for Preventing the Children of Poor People in Ireland from Being a Burden to Their Parents or Country and for Making Them Beneficial to the Public. And this is in 1729. That title, that article, the idea that this was fine for someone to put in print really sums up the the Irish-English relationship at the time of the Irish potato famine. Speaking of the potato famine, how did we get there from here? Because remember, Ireland in August of 1845 is exporting tons of potatoes to help continental Europe. Newspapers in Ireland didn't report potato blight until September of 1845. The immediate consequence of this blight was that Irish people ate the potatoes they normally would have planted for that next year, because if you plant them, it might get the blight and they'll die, so eat them now. However, oh sorry, additionally, a higher number of pigs and cows were slaughtered because they were often fed potatoes, and if potatoes weren't planted, then there's not as much feed for the pigs and cattle. Additionally, if you feed the pigs and cattle potatoes, then there's not enough potatoes for the humans to eat. So, takeaway point, less potatoes, uh, less protein sources. Prime Minister Peel imported 100,000 pounds of maize at the end of November 1845 to for the government to sell to the people so that they would be able to eat. Remember, this is this blight is occurring both in England and in Ireland. However, the corn that Prime Minister Peel purchased was um, what we call flint corn, sometimes referred to as Indian corn. It's very difficult. And as we discussed in our corn episode, the methods of processing corn didn't come over with the plant itself. So the corn that the English and Irish were eating had very little nutritional value because it wasn't processed properly. There's a whole process of grinding it down and soaking in lime. Really, you should refer to season one, episode one, amazing, to really get a sense. Oh, season one, episode two, season season one, episode two, which is amazing. I think episode one is rice. Anyway. In addition to not having the proper methods of breaking down this corn so that it's nutritional, nutrition as 
that so that it offers whew, as many nutrients as possible, there weren't enough commercial grain mills in Ireland to grind the corn, and the Irish didn't have a means of grinding it at home, so they usually ate it whole. As a result, many Irish died of dysentery. The one upside is that this maze kept food prices low. Prime Minister Peel used the effect of corn on food prices to try and repeal the corn laws, which prevented the import of cheap grain. However, it was unpopular and caused his party to be voted out of Parliament in June of 1846. After this, the Whig government took majority of Parliament and immediately reversed many of Prime Minister Peel's public works projects and stopped importing corn. They did establish food depots to distribute the remaining corn if the need arose, but they thought the blight is over, things have moved on, we're out of the woods, and we can go back to life as normal. However, there were quite a few things that made life as normal nearly impossible. First, there was a mild winter between 1845 and 1846, which fostered the spread of potato blight and extended the rainy weather and the cold season into the summer of 1846, which increased the blight so that by July of 1846, it was all throughout um, Wales, Ireland, and England, and Scotland. 88% of the Irish potato crop failed. Also remember that it's a smaller crop that was planted than usual because many of the potatoes had been eaten for sustenance instead of planted for food for the next year. And most of the available protein animals, such as cows and pigs, had been slaughtered because they could not afford to keep them alive over the winter. So food is looking very scarce. By the time the government realized that food scarcity was a problem, there was very little left to purchase in England or actually in all of continental Europe because they were still dealing with the effects of the potato blight. By this time, the famine had deepened to such a point that other European countries banned the export of food and whatever corn the United States had to sell had already been purchased by other European countries. British political leaders were unwilling to support direct relief efforts, feeling that the Scottish and English Protestants, uh, Protestant working classes shouldn't have to feed Irish Catholics. And I know we don't really get political here, but I just want to stop and remind people that this is something that's happening right now in the United States. There are people experiencing food insecurity due to job loss, due to, to our current pandemic of COVID-19. It's often difficult to see the full impact of major life events on society while we're living in it. And I think it's important to stop and realize it, especially if we're in a place of relative security. So 
if you have food to eat and a job that is paying you money to live, um, this is just a really quick reminder that not everyone is fortunate enough to be in a similar position right now due to the plague. Anyway, even though the potatoes failed, other crops were fine. There was still oat, there was still barley. However, these crops were owed, owned by merchants who exported the food because they could make more money than selling it in England and Ireland and Scotland. The government permitted Irish pro products to be sold at extremely high prices. During the winter of 1846 to 1847, more food was exported from Ireland than was imported. The government decreed in August 1846 that landlords should pay taxes to support relief efforts, but many landlords had gone bankrupt in this time and couldn't afford to, and those who had not gone bankrupt had expelled their tenant farmers who couldn't pay rent to prevent themselves from going bankrupt. There was approximately 400,000 tenants evicted with no food or shelter. So in many cases, eviction meant death. The famine finally ended in 1851, but it had made its mark. Now, why did we talk about the potato famine if today's episode is on shepherd's pie? Well, we're going to get to it. Shepherd's pie started off as cottage pie, and it was a term used interchangeably, shepherd's pie, cottage pie, and it meant the same dish. It came to prominence in the United Kingdom around 18th century, around the 18th century. The original shepherd's pie was based in a was baked in a pastry crust. It had a top crust and a bottom crust, and it originated in Scotland. It was a great way of repurposing the weekend roast as filling so that you weren't just eating roasts reheated for seven days. You were having a new meal. It was popular in Ireland because of its affordable nature. And this is where you find mashed potatoes subbed in for pastry because grain was expensive and potatoes were affordable. Also, beef was very expensive. It's Most Irish people during this time could not afford to eat beef. But sheep was plentiful and cheap. So mutton, which is a tougher cut of sheep, was used instead. Today, cottage pie almost exclusively refers to this type of meal made with minced beef, and shepherd's pie is made with minced lamb. The French word for cottage pie or shepherd's pie is hachi parmentia, hachi meaning finely chopped, and parmentier, parmentier, again, my French is terrible, uh, parmentier, um, meaning the man that introduced and popularized the potato to, to in France, brought it to prominence in France. So basically, potatoes, finely chopped potatoes. Um, this term came into use around 1900. 
So, all of that history was to say that why would the Irish pick potatoes? Because it was cheap and affordable and available and the most practical thing for them to use. Now, in the modern day, you can substitute all sorts of things, but it has a different name. If you substitute potatoes for breadcrumbs, you have a Cumberland pie. If you substitute lamb and beef for fish, you have fish pie. If you substitute lamb or beef for turkey and ham, you have a St. Stephen's Day pie. If you only have vegetables, as we said in the beginning of the episode, it's a shepherdess gardener's or shepherdless pie. If you add canned corn and uh, pate shin, shin, oh, sorry. If you add canned corn to the ingredients, it's a pate chinois, which is French Canadian shepherd's pie. Honestly, shepherd's pie is one of my favorite dishes. It's fantastic. It's super customizable, as most of our recipes this season have been, and it's delicious. I thought we would kind of take a look at at the original recipe. So our recipe this week comes from the new Universal Cookery Book, written by Lizzie Heritage in 1894. This recipe calls for one and one half pound of cooked potatoes and one half to three quarters pound of cold meat, seasoning and gravy as below. The potatoes must be nicely cooked and mashed while hot. They should be stiffened and beaten until light with a wooden spoon. A pie dish should then be greased and the potatoes put at the bottom to form a layer from one half inch to one inch of thickness. The meat should be made into a thick mince, meaning ground, of the usual kind with stock or gravy. Um, usual kind meaning whether it's more popular to use beef or lamb in your part of the country. It may be It may be served with an onion sauce or any other kind of sauce which may be sent to a table with meat. And this harkens back to, you know, there's a sauce for every meal, for every course of meal. The nicer the mince, the nicer, of course, will be the pie. Basically, you want to really grind your meat. The meat goes next and should be put in the center of the bottom layer, leaving a little space all around. Then, drop the remainder of the potatoes on top, beginning at the sides. This prevents the boiling out of the gravy when the meat begins to cook. Go on until all of the meat is used, making the pie highest in the middle. Take a fork and rough the surface all over, because it will brown better than if left smooth. For a plain dish, bake it for 15 to 20 minutes. I'm assuming uh, 350 degrees Fahrenheit would be a good temperature to have your oven set at. Or you may sprinkle the pie with melted dripping, butter. A brush may be used for this. Or if it, it may be cooked with a beaten egg, part of which may be then used in the mashed potatoes. As soon as the pie is hot through and brown, it should be served.
thanks so much for listening. Um, honestly, I do the show because I love it and I love presenting the information, but having you guys listen and join in is honestly one of the best parts of doing it. Um, if you want to drop ideas for a new show uh, or a topic that you want to hear, head on over to our Instagram and hit us up uh, in our DMs at Blunder Kitchen on Instagram. If you want a link to any of the research that we used for this episode, you can check out um, all of our research for this episode and past episodes at BlunderKitchen.com. Likewise, all of the recipes listed are archived on BlenderKitchen.com. BlenderKitchen.com is kind of our hub for everything. Um, so, what else? Oh, yes. Thank you so much for your support and just listening, you're supporting. But if you want to help us even more, tell a friend, um, you know, recommend us or like Uh, rate and review, subscribe, you know, whatever is the best method, depending on the podcatcher that you're using to listen to the show. Um, Or consider us by consider buying us a coffee um, on ko-fi.com slash blender kitchen. That link is in our bio on Instagram and uh, as well as on our website at blenderkitchen.com. you know, again, I do this because I love it and it's fantastic, but every little bit counts and we're working on getting some sweet, sweet merch into your hands. Um, so your wonderful, kind donations would go to projects like that. Until next time, stay frosty, kitchen nerds.